it going today, guys? Back here live in the studio for an episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Today's Friday, March 26, 2020. I am your host, Thomas Penland, joined once again by Ben Gorowitz. Ben, say what's up to the people. What's going on, everyone? Happy Friday, happy Friday. Uh, great to have you back in here, Ben. By the way, I'm pretty sure I said it's 2020. It is 2021, actually. We are on March Madness Eve. The Sweet 16 takes off tomorrow. Um, both me and Ben got our dogs in the fight still. Both our teams, Ben, the, Alabama plays on Sunday, right? Sunday. Yep, both our teams play on Sunday. So we're excited for all that. First, though, as you all know, NBA trade deadline was yesterday. We got to break that down for y'all. We're going to talk about NBA trade deadline for about 20 minutes. Then we're going to go through every single game on the board for March Madness and talk about if we want to change where what teams are coming to the final four and national champion out of what's left. So let's go ahead and kick things off with a team playing in my backyard. That is my and Ben's Atlanta Hawks. Moving on from Rajon Rondo and bringing back home Lou Will. I'm pretty sure Lou Will was spotted earlier today eating some lemon pepper wings at Magic City. Had joined himself, you know, a little nice afternoon, Friday afternoon lunch. Um, not gonna lie, Ben, I was very hype actually seeing this trade. I thought it was a good trade for Atlanta. I mean, Rondo honestly never really plays. I mean, he is big though with the second unit, but he never really plays. I think Lou Williams though just gives us a more consistent scoring option off the bench. A lot of times the Hawks offense looks lost. I mean, Rondo chose to go out there and direct traffic, but I still think we need someone who's actually like an offensive threat off the bench. And Lou Williams knows nothing besides getting up shots and getting buckets. So I think it's a pretty good move for it for Atlanta and on the Clippers side of things, I think it's a good move for them as well, just because, you know, I feel like that they, they need a true point guard and they don't really have one. I mean, Rondo gives them the best option as a true point guard, him and Doc, R- or actually, shoot, they don't have Doc Rivers anymore, but Ty yeah, has he played for Ty Lue? I'm trying to think. I don't think they ever have played together before, but regardless though, I think Rondo gives them another, and just another option to help them run the offense. And, you know, a lot of times the Clippers look lost out there. I think you can direct traffic and everything and you can put lineups on the floor where it's all shooters, but you, you know, you can play like Kennard, Leonard, um, George, and obviously one of the big men, you know, and kind of have shooters on the floor with Rondo. So I think it gives the Clippers a lot of good options, but I thought it was a good trade both ways. Yeah, I would agree. It's both. I mean, it's a good trade for both ways. I mean, the Hawks, like you mentioned, I mean, get a, get a, um, much needed score off the bench. And I mean, Lou Williams is the definition of a bucket. I mean, that dude will be able to score for the rest of his life. He could get two points. So um, he gets to come back home. I think the, I mean, the Clippers, it was a glaring need at point guard. They, they have nobody playing point guard. Um, what's interesting. And I'm sure you saw this as well was like Lou Williams, when he heard he was being traded to Atlanta, which he's from Atlanta was thinking about retiring. Like what the hell is that about? And then he uh, was, I guess he thought about it more and he's very excited to play for the Hawks now. And uh, it's just kind of weird. Like the Hawks bring in Rondo for his leadership, for, um, you know, for his experience, uh, his mentorship and all that. And his nickname is Playoff Rondo. And the Hawks are finally going back to the playoffs, or at least it looks like that. And we're not going to have them, which it's fine. I mean, listen, I'll be real with everyone. The Hawks are pretenders. They are probably going to make the playoffs. They will not do anything in the playoffs that means anything. They they will not be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, sorry if that breaks anyone's heart, but that's just <laughs> not going to happen. Heart, ben. But but the team does look good. Um, I do expect them to make the playoffs. I think it's a good trade for both teams. I would expect Rondo to have more of an impact for the Clippers than Lou Will for the Hawks because I think the Clippers have a better chance to advance to their um, conference finals 
uh, in the West, even though the West is harder, rather than the Hawks' chances to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I like a lot of what you said there, Ben. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The Hawks are definitely pretenders. I mean, all I said was this year, all I said getting back all the way at the beginning of the season, all I wanted was just to get in the playoffs with Trey Young as our number one option. You, so it looks gotta, like that's going to happen. You got to learn how to win before mm-hmm. you can win, if that makes any sense. Like, you don't see a lot of just young players who are leading teams like Trey Young just all of a sudden splash into the spotlight, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. for example, like, and I personally, I think Luca is, you know, is better than Trey, but Luca got to the playoff success and he, and he hit the game winner, but he lost. So now that he's got a taste of what playoff basketball is going to look like, it's only going to help him. He, I'm sure he learned so much from, uh, from just making the playoffs and going through it. So hopefully Trey can make that transition as well. Whether you lose in the first round, second round, or if you go all the way, it doesn't matter. You're gaining a lot of experience by just making the playoffs. Yeah, no, that I agree with you completely on that, Ben. I just want to see the Hawks get in the playoffs this year. You know, next year we can worry about actually being a threat. This year, it's like you said, just all about getting that playoff experience. We finally have learned how to win. I mean, I'm, I'm going to knock on wood here because I don't want to jinx what's been going on with the Hawks. But, you know, we finally actually learned how to win some games and put together a couple of wins in a row in the regular season. It's time to learn now and do it a little bit more in the playoffs. Um I think the next big topic to talk about here is Kyle Lowry not getting traded. I mean, it almost felt like it was for sure going to happen, especially after that interview where he got FaceTime from Drake. Then he kind of gave his piece and teared up a little bit for Toronto. I mean, not going to lie. I know a lot of people hate Kyle Lowry. I'm one of the few advocates on this planet for Kyle Lowry to be a Hall of Famer. I'm one of the few, you know, big Kyle Lowry advocates. So I honestly kind of liked it, but I thought it was crazy. He didn't end up getting traded here, but we did. I mean, what did you think, Ben? Did you think that somebody should have gone out and made a move for him? I mean, I definitely think there was interest. Um, I'm sure there was there was a lot of talks um, between the Sixers. Everyone likes to mention that he went to Villanova. He's a Philly guy. I'm sure he would have loved to go back home and play for the number one seed in the East, in, in the Eastern Conference. But maybe the deal just wasn't right for both sides. You know, I don't know. I, I do know just from reading, um, you know, stuff like tweets from like Shams and uh, or Shams, whatever, and, uh, and Woj and some other guys like that, that, you know, Toronto did have talks around Kyle Lowry. It just, it just didn't happen. I, I would say he's probably one of the more surprising pieces, if not the most, that did not get moved. But it's maybe this just—I don't know. It, it, maybe the time wasn't right. You know, I, I don't know. I just know that I'm a little shocked he, it didn't get moved. But something just didn't fall right for both parties, I guess. Yeah. Um. I, I thought that Miami honestly should have gone out and made the move for him. I felt like Miami really could have used him. I felt like they should have tried to move one of Hero or or uh, Duncan Robinson. Duncan. You know, I, f- I think those guys are good. But at the same time, like, I really think that one of the two of them needed to get moved in order to do it. I personally think that he hang on to Tyler Hero. Like, I like Tyler Hero's game. I think he can get better. But at the same time, you know, what's his ceiling? At the same time, you got – Jimmy Butler is only going to keep on getting older. Why not give it a shot right now and try to win the Eastern Conference? But then at the same time, if they felt like, you know, they couldn't beat up, go ahead and beat the um, Nets, then probably a smart move for them there. But, you know, you just got to ask yourself, like, how sure are you that you can get to the next round or how sure are you, you know, you can win a title? And 
I think that's what you had to do here with all these teams not trading for Lowry. I was kind of shocked, though, to not see a team, you know, make the decision. Honestly, I thought the Raptors should have moved him. I thought the Raptors should have, you know, tried to get maybe just a tiny bit more and then go ahead and moved on from him. Because, you know, now at this point, I don't think Toronto wants to pay Lowry long term. So Lowry's going to walk as a free agent. Why not probably get something for him? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's going to walk now for nothing. You at least want to get something in return. It's better than nothing. But Hey, you know, I think they did what's best for him. I mean, he also is kind of the, he's probably the best player in franchise history. So at the same time, you know, you don't want to do a guy like that wrong, but I was really shocked, honestly, not to see him get him moved. A team that was in on that sweepstakes was the 76ers and they added George Hill, which I actually thought was a great move. George Hill gives him defense off the bench. He's got playoff experience and shooting. He can even move in that starting lineup as an extra starter. I mean, I think Philadelphia has a great roster and they put their defense has been even better with him beat out. So, I mean, this Philadelphia team's rolling right now. Love the George Hill signing. I think he's just a great backup point guard. He he can score when you need him to. He proved that in the on the Bucks when he outplayed Eric Bledsoe almost every single game. Um, I think he ended up coming off the bench and ended up starting for the Bucks at some point um, during his time there. I listen. He's a veteran, like you mentioned. He's been in the playoffs a lot. This is only gonna help the Sixers. And like you just mentioned, their roster is great. I mean, they, they got a great roster. And, you know, I don't know what Doc Rivers and his staff have, have really done because I don't watch uh, Philly basketball on a consistent basis, but they figured out, I know that Embiid's hurt now, but they have completely figured out how to get Ben Simmons and Embiid to play well together because their plus minus is a whole lot better this year than it ever was under Brett Brown. Yeah, no, they're, th- this 76ers team, I mean, Doc Rivers clearly came in and put everything together for him. This team has been completely different. Daryl Morey, he, I'm sure he deserves some credit. Absolutely. I mean, Daryl Morey, I mean, he's built his team around his superstars. You know, Daryl Morey's always been a big get two superstars and build guy. We saw him do the same, do it in Houston. Now we see him do it here with Philadelphia. So he's definitely got his, uh, he's got kind of his way of building a team. I think he's done a good job of putting a team together around them. Um, next up here, let's talk about a team that Ben and I both were texting each other back and forth, absolutely confused as to what they were doing. So first off, the Celtics have just completely all they've done is stockpile assets and not really done like they've done an excellent job over the years of stockpiling assets, but they have no clue what to do with them once they stockpile them. I mean, they just use first rounder after first rounder. They have all these picks and they never really seem to do anything or have not made much out of them. I guess Tatum, but that's about it. Um, Boston traded Jeff Teague, Daniel Tice, and two for and two uh, second round picks, and brought in Evan Foyner and Mo Wagner. I mean, it makes no sense. I don't know why they got rid of Tice. He seemed to be their best big man they had down low. I don't think Wagner is going to contribute anything. I mean, they say Tristan Thompson. All he wants to do is go out and party and keeps on getting COVID protocols, and the whole team hates him. So. I don't think you want to rely on a guy like that in the playoffs this team is no identity. I mean, Evan Foynier gives you another shooter, but like Ben and I said, their problem was not shooting. They downgraded where their one problem was, which was in the paint. I mean, me and you literally on our podcast said they have to get a good, get upgraded the big man position. Instead they downgraded it and brought in another shooter. Yeah. And I will say this Jalen Brown did say that was cap, uh, which if no, if someone doesn't know what that means, it basically just means like it's wrong uh, in terms of the Tristan Thompson thing. Uh, about okay. him being a problem in the locker room. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, maybe some people dislike him if if that's actually what's going on with him. I mean, I'm gonna you tell you let me know if I if I leave someone off this list. The Boston Celtics big men, Mo Wagner, Wagner mm-hmm. Tristan Thompson, um, Grant Williams, if we want to count him as Time a big Lord. man, 
Robert Williams, Taco Fall. Yep. Am I am I missing anybody? Nope, that's all five. That's the worst group of big men I've ever I've ever seen put together. Easily on a team the worst. that on a, on a I mean, at least of the teams that consider themselves to be quality, like that's that's atrocious. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but that's that's the worst group of big men. If I closed my eyes and imagined some big men on a team, like that's that's as bad as it gets. I, I where does any production come from from any of those guys? I I don't see it, man. And I mean, you're uh, not getting through they, these they Eastern got, Conference with that. Dude, they're not even 500 right now. I mean, mm-hmm. they got to worry about getting into the playoffs before they even can think. I mean, before they can think further than that, I, I don't understand it. I mean, Tatum is a stud. Uh, Jalen Brown is is tremendous. Mm-hmm. He's unbelievable. Kemba's obviously his time in Boston has not been as great as I think Celtics fans would have wanted, but he he's still Kemba. He can score. I mean, outside of those three, I I don't I don't know if anyone is a threat. And I don't even know if Kemba Walker is a threat anymore, but I just, I don't see it with the Celtics, man. I, I don't understand this deal at all. And like, I get it. Like Evan Fournier, he's been around for a while. I think he was averaging like 19 points per game in Orlando, but that's Orlando. Like now that you're going to a better team, if he's taking the same, I mean, if he's taking a, if he's taking a shot, that means Tatum and Brown are not taking shots. So <laughs> He's going to be taking shots away from the Celtics' best players, maybe. I, I mean, maybe. What is he going to do, not shoot? Yeah, I mean, and that's what he does is shoot. So he gets he gets 19 points per game on a, on a horrible Orlando Magic team. So let's say that when he goes to a better team, better situation, let's say his numbers go down to, let's just say, 12, 13 points per game, which is still solid, 12, 13 points per game. It's good production. It's – he doesn't play much. He doesn't play great defense. I, I don't understand how this deal helps at all. And I don't watch much Wizards basketball games. Um, I don't think anyone in the country really does. But I don't know what Mo Wagner can bring to the table. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you completely on that one, Ben. I really don't know how Mo Wagner can bring anything to the table for the Celtics team. I mean, that – But let's, I'm but so let's see. The Celtics – the Celtics – are 21 and 23 write that down as we're talking about that they're 21 and 23 we'll see what they end up doing we'll see in their excuse me they are the eighth seed in the playoffs right now let's mm-hmm. see what they finish yeah it's gonna be interesting to see what they finish i don't think it's gonna be exactly what they want um next team up here um i actually think made the best move of the entire trade deadline and that is the Chicago Bulls. So the Chicago Bulls got rid of Wendell Carter Jr., Daniel Gafford, Chandler Hutchison, Luke Cornett, Otto Porter Jr., and two first-round picks. So the two first-round picks, Otto Porter Jr. and Wendell Carter Jr., all went to the Magic in return for – they got Al Farouk Aminu and uh, Nick Vucevic. They also ended up getting Daniel Tice and Troy Brown in that trade they made with the Wizards as well. Um Call me crazy, but Bulls making the playoff push here, and I really like it. You now have two all-stars with Vucevic and um, Zach Levine yeah, pieced together. I personally think Vucevic is one of the most underrated players in the entire NBA. I mean, he's like – Jokic is like the A-plus version of himself, which he obviously is because he's now the MVP favorite. 
I mean, the B plus version of, of him or even the A minus is Vucevic. I mean, that's how good Vucevic is. He can shoot the ball. He can dribble. He can pass. You know, he's like he's like that center who you can kind of run your whole offense through at the high post. You know, he's like Vucevic is that kind of guy you can run offense through. I mean, he's just played on terrible Orlando teams. So, I mean, his talent got hidden there. But I think it's the best thing going to happen to Vucevic. I think this entire team is going to play better and he's going to elevate them. I think Chicago is a top 10 team in the Eastern Conference and will be in one of those play-in games now. I, I definitely expect them to make the playoffs now. I mean, it's definitely an upgrade. And don't they still have Laurie Marketing or has yep. he been hurt? He's, okay, no, yeah. he's, I mean, he's, he's another solid player. I mean, I, you know, I, he can do a lot of things on a basketball court for you. He's a good shooter. Um, so I think he can also pair up nicely. And I mean, listen, like, like you just said, like I just said, I definitely expect the Bulls to make the playoffs now. Um, is it, what do you, what are your thoughts on obviously collecting, the salary that Vucevic is to be a pretender. What do you mean? I mean let's mean? be honest. Well, I mean, like, how far do you think the Bulls realistically are going to go? With Vucevic Second now? Round? Second round? Mm, like they're not they an can... Eastern Conference. They're not an Eastern Conference Finals team. No, I mean, I don't think they get the second round because they're going to be so far back in the Eastern Conference. Like, they're going to be playing one of either uh, Brooklyn – Milwaukee or um or Philadelphia in the first round they can't get they're not they cannot beat any of those three teams so they're unless right. they can so somehow get is, a four or five seed they can maybe I don't I don't even think they could beat Atlanta though so my point is they're going to be paying Vucevic's big salary for the next two years Zach Levine's I'm assuming going to get a contract extension fairly soon I mean Vucevic's deal is not long I think it's only two more years but just paying all that money to be out in the first round it, it can you know give people a weary vibe kind of but I think you have to at least show your fans you're trying and you know the Bulls have been stuck in like the the um five to ten pick range in the NBA draft and they're in it every single year so um I think you do have to show that you're at least trying you have to show Zach Levine who's your franchise player that you're at least trying to win with him I think it does send a good message to the team I just I, I don't see the Bulls if if by somehow they win their first round, I don't see them winning in round two. Um, but this is the right move. Yeah, but also you, you got to think about this too, though. They can't. They kind of are. They're they're in a playoff mode, but they're also have like the young pieces there that they can get better. They can build with like Kobe White, mm-hmm. Marketing, um, Patrick Levine Williams. Levine is still pretty young. Who? Levine is not old. Yeah, exactly. See, like they have the young guys that they can pair with the with the other guys, you know. So I feel like they have like a good like matchup of a team, you know what I mean? Like a good yeah. make as a team. And worst case, you know, if none of these guys pan out, once Vucevic's contract's up, you trade Levine and you start over again, you know. So I know it's just tough to go not all in, but. just because it doesn't work out, just to trade your franchise player. I think that would be a tough look if that's the route they took with Levine. But, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just have to wait and see. This what, – I mean, listen, Wendell Carter was actually pretty good. Um, a very young player that has played pretty well so far. Um, I think he was hurt a little bit his rookie year, but was, was doing some solid things this year. This was one of my favorite moves. It was not my favorite. My favorite was what the Miami Heat did because okay. – and – you know, obviously getting a player like Victor Oladipo, he's only there for a year. We've already heard that they're, mm-hmm. that both sides have interest in 
in extending that. Uh, Miami, Pat Riley tried to get Victor Oladipo. I think, I think earlier this year or maybe last year, they tried to get Victor Oladipo. It just didn't work out at the time. But Pat Riley finally got his guy. I think he fits great with this team. Um, I think the Heat, I mean, he just, they went to the finals last year and they got better while the Celtics got worse. The Sixers got better. The Bucks basically s- stood still. I, the only big addition off the top of my head, the Bucks added Drew Holiday. Am I, is there anyone else that they added that, that is significant? No, I think adding P.J. Tucker helps a little bit just because their defense PJ, is so you're lacking. Right. So I think he helps PJ, them on the defensive end a little bit. You're right, P.J. Tucker. Then I guess they added Bobby Portis, I think, at the start of the year. Yeah, they did. They um, did. I, I don't understand what the Bucs are doing. Like, clearly their roster has not been good enough the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what this Middleton deal is going to look like over the next two years. I think at right now, I think it's easy to say that the Bucs overpaid for what they're getting out of them. Um, in the playoffs, him and Giannis have not played that great together, and that's why they've been bounced each time. So, listen, the Bucs, each year that they do not go to the finals or win at all, the Giannis deal looks worse and worse. And I'm sorry that I have to say it like that, but when you're a small market team and you pay someone that much money and you don't win, yeah, it's a bust of a deal. And that's a lot of pressure to put on Giannis' shoulders. But that's the pressure he's earned. Um, he's got to come through. I mean, that's the only way I can say it. It's on Giannis and Chris Middleton's shoulders. And they have to come through because I don't think the Bucs are a better team than the Heat. I don't think really, the Bucs are better. I would still take the Bucs roster- over the Heat. Roster-wise, I don't think so. I, I don't think the Heat struggled to guard Giannis in the playoffs last year. But also, I, too, you got to think about this. Miami didn't have to go into Milwaukee to win. You know, it was all inside the bubble. I feel like, see, I don't think that Heat team could have weathered the Eastern Conference. There's no way they were going into Boston. There's no way they're going to Milwaukee. There's no way they're going yeah, to but what's the fan any of those situ- places and winning. What's the fan situation for the playoffs going to be like this year? Because if there's limited fans, there's not that much advantage. No, nah, that, that is a the Heat, good point. The, the Heat have plenty of guys that they can put in front of uh, Giannis. I mean, they have four or five guys off the top of my head that can all that can all slow down Giannis. They three of them did it last year: Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Andre Iguodala. Those three dudes can all guard Giannis Antetokounmpo with some help, obviously. But they all guarded him last year, right? Obviously, the Sixers yeah. got better. I like what they've done. They have guys. They have a plenty. Uh, they have Thibel. They have Simmons. Um, it, I don't think they'll put Embiid on uh, on Giannis, but they have guys that can guard him too. So the the Bucks philosophy, when your star player is not a shooter, like you need other guys to step up. And the fact that they're relying on guys like – Chris Middleton's a good player. I, I don't want to keep bashing him. And Drew Holiday is a good player. But they need guys like Pat Connaughton, and they need guys like Drew Holiday to carry them to the finals because Giannis is not going to do it alone. No, I, I definitely, I definitely shoot. agree with you on that. I actually don't think, though, picking up Oladipo is that big. Oladipo has not looked like the same player ever since his injury. I mean, if somehow he can get back that Victor Oladipo, I think it is. Um, but Victor Oladipo we've seen so far has not been that great. But, I mean, the Heat definitely got better regardless. I mean, there's no way to say they didn't get better. But I still just don't think – I still think the Heat are the fourth or fifth best team in the East still, even after making this trade. But – you know, I, I, I like the Bucks roster, but I'm going to agree with you. They're not better than Philadelphia and Brooklyn are on another level in the Eastern Conference than they are. Even without KD, which I, I we all know he's going to be back. But even without mm-hmm. KD, uh, the Nets are just lethal 
for me. Oh, for sure. Um, my favorite trade of the trade deadline is it was up in the air between two, but first off, I want to say this before I say what it is. I thought the magic finally did a great job of doing what I've been saying they need to do for the last three years. They need to trade some of their big men and get some assets, get some picks and start the rebuild. They finally did it. And this is why this is my favorite trade was the Denver nuggets acquiring Aaron Gordon. Look, I don't, I'm not saying Aaron Gordon can be the all-star player we thought he can be, but Aaron Gordon can still change his entire game. I mean, Aaron Gordon's a freak athlete. He's still 25 years old. So, I mean, he's still got his best basketball ahead of him. I mean, he's not even in his prime yet. He's just been forgotten about in Orlando in a system that didn't work. He never played with a good point guard. Now he plays with a team that is shooting and can stretch the floor, and he plays with one of the best passers in the game in Nikola Jokic. I mean, just imagine getting Aaron Gordon on backdoor cuts for alley-oops and stuff and the athleticism and stuff he can bring to the table on defense. I think Denver made themselves a complete team by getting Gordon. It gives them the power forward. They need to stretch the floor. They're going to get more out of him than shooting threes and trying to stretch the floor like he did in Orlando. He's going to be able to go play in the post and go to work because Jokic can go sit out on the perimeter for him and Jokic can find him and put him in better positions. Inning plays, people like Jamal Murray can stretch the floor. I think this was the best move of the entire trade deadline. Well, yeah, well, I mean, the Nuggets, they've been a good team. They are a good team. Um, I actually I actually kind of like that they got rid of Garrett Harris. Um, Same. I, I, I don't think – he provided much to them, mm-hmm. but he was, he was hurt a lot of the time too. Like the nuggets, are, they just have too many pieces. Like if that's even such a thing, like they just have so many guys that can play basketball and contribute. And it's hard to like, it's hard to just find time for everyone. I mean, obviously Murray and Jokic are their one, two punch and they're going to lead this team as far as they can, but they have a lot of bench pieces that, that can play basketball that could start for a decent amount of other teams. No, I agree with you completely on that. This Nuggets team's deeply stacked. It's kind of time they finally, you know, turn some of the talent into one more player. They also got to hang on to Michael Porter Jr. So anytime they can get better and hang on to him and Bull Bull, I like that a lot for the Nuggets. Um, last trade we need to talk about here quickly before that we jump into the to the basketball or to the uh, college basketball portion of this podcast is the last big trade, in my opinion, which was the Portland Trailblazers getting Norman Powell and trading Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. I mean, I think, first off, it's a very fair trade both ways. I think it's a good trade both ways, but I think Portland getting Powell is massive. Powell's a guy who's an NBA champion. Powell's a guy with a lot of playoff experience. I really like Gary Trent Jr. and the shooting and everything he supplies, but I think Norman Powell supplies like another just straight score that can have the ball in his hands and a dog on the defensive end. I think Powell is a beast. I mean, he's shooting 43.9% from three-point range this year. He just had a 43-point game the other day. Um, he will be an unrestricted free agent, but still, though, I thought that this was just a great move to bring in another guy who could score the basketball and just make your team more lethal. The only question is, is Norman Powell going to give them enough that makes up for two players because Portland traded two players that played significant uh, bench minutes for them. Mm-hmm. And I thought Gary Trent did a phenomenal job when CJ McCollum was out. I thought Gary Trent was yeah. tremendous in the bubble last year. Um, I, you know, I, I, when it's a two for one trade, you need that one player to really step it up. And I, I do like Norman Powell for all the reasons you said, but in this is like, it's so weird to judge Portland like they're really good because they're they're they can go as far as Damian Lillard can take them mm-hmm. Damian Lillard's a top 10 player in my opinion in the NBA he's great he's the best clutch player in the NBA I I, I mean there's no one even close 
Um, so they just they need Norman Powell to do a little bit more. If he fits in, and he can give them a little bit more than what he was doing in Toronto. I think it's going to work out very nicely for them. I think if he puts up kind of the same, I think in a year, then I think you're going to say like, well, what did this really do for Portland? Yeah. No, I mean, it could end up being one that backfires him, but at the end of the day, I think Powell his experience and his mentality and the way he plays and everything. I think it'll end up really good defender. Oh yeah. That's what I'm saying. Really good defender. Yeah. I think it'll pay off in the end. So it'd be fun to see what happens there with that one, but Let's switch things over now to what to the big time basketball here. And that is the March Madness, man. I mean, Ben, this was the worst week ever, by the way. First off, did you like how they changed up the how this tournament started on Friday and now Saturday? I personally hate it. Like, I like how it was Thursday through Sunday, Thursday through Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I just don't like the new schedule. I like I'm a I'm a big fan of the old schedule. I thought it was a great way they used to do it. Well, it was a little strange to me when I was kind of thinking back to why maybe they would have changed it because, like, this year it's so weird. Like, they're not traveling. Mm-hmm. Like, every team was already in Indianapolis, and they're staying in Indy. So, like, why why does each team need a week off? Like, you're not traveling. I, I didn't, But, I mean, you know, scheduling is what it is. I, I really don't care because the games are eventually going to be played. And we've made it through, we've grinded through a tough work week and we're almost there. I mean, we're one day away. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just happy, man. We got this going. What are you doing for the games tomorrow? Anything special? I don't think so, man. I think it's going to be kind of ugly here with some rain. So um, just kind of, just kind of relax and just enjoy the games. Yeah, tomorrow, so, uh, tomorrow I'll probably drink a little bit, you know, have a little fun while I watch the games. But Saturday I'm going to be glued to my seat because my Noles play at 5. What time does the Tide play on Saturday? Or Sunday, I mean. Tide plays, tide plays Sunday. Um, they play 7.15 Eastern time. Okay, so we got both our teams back-to-back then. Um, I think you'll like to hear what I have to say when it comes time to talk about that one. Um, let's uh, Let's get down to these games, man. So – First one on the slate here is Oregon State, and they will play Loyola Chicago here. So we got a nice little matchup there. We got a 12 seed versus an 8 seed. Interesting there that both these teams are still hanging around. Um, Oregon State is a 7-point dog, total at 125. Are you going to play anything on this one, Ben? I've gone back and forth with this pick. I think I've decided on I'm not going to play. Um, anything on this? I think the smartest move is to take Oregon State with the points. I they've been. Sh- I don't really think they're that good of a basketball team to be honest. Like I, I just think they're hot. They're shooting well, and I don't know if being a week off is really going to harm their shooting. I mean, obviously they're still practicing and stuff like that. I, I just, I don't think or like I think Oregon State is is probably the s- second worst team in the tournament left. If I had to, if I had to kind of rank okay. them, maybe behind Oral Roberts, interesting. Uh, in front of Oral Roberts, sorry. Um, I just think the smartest move is, is, with this tournament, the way they can go. I think when you when you have seven points to give, I think the smartest play is uh, is to take the points with the underdog. But I think Loyola Chicago is a much better team. Okay, interesting. So Oregon State is 5-0 and straight up their last five games as an underdog. They're 12-1 and ATS in their last 13 games. This team has been on fire. And honestly, when you look back at their schedule, they had some horrible out-of-conference losses. But ever since pretty much Pac-12 play started, this team really got it together and has played very well. I mean, 
their record's not completely terrible. I mean, 19 and 12, not bad at all. 29 and one against the spread. You know, that's actually a pretty decent basketball team that Oregon State has right there. Um, I'm going to agree with you, though. I think Loyola Chicago's a better team here in this matchup, but I think seven points is too many. I think Oregon State's going to be able to keep it within the points here and cover the spread. I'm not going to money line sprinkle on them, though. I personally don't think they get this one done outright. But I think seven points in a matchup where that, you know, I think that I think Loyola Chicago is a really good team. I just don't think they're seven points better. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think they're a great basketball yeah. team, but I think this one's going to be tight. I like Loyola Chicago to win this one by four or five points when it's all said and done. I think Oregon State's ability to shoot the three ball will let them hang around in this one. Nothing for me on the total, though, although I would probably lean towards the under, even though I'm not going to play anything on that total. Um, it's, tough to, it's tough to convince myself to bet against the Pac-12 team at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, and other, other than their one game on the schedule that we all know that I'm rooting for. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I mean, hey, man, the Pac-12 has been on fire as of late, so definitely um, can understand that. Um, next team up on here is th- at 5.15, we'll have the Villanova Wildcats take on the Baylor Bears. Um, this is actually one of the few brackets where you don't have two upset teams playing against each other as you have the one versus the four seed or versus the five seed here. Um, Villanova is a seven and a half point dog over under at 41 and a half. Um, got anything for this one, Ben? Well, I just mentioned that I think seven points getting up to close to the double digits is kind of a lot. I, I think this is a really bad matchup for Villanova. I I know that they're a well-coached team, but Baylor, I've been really impressed with Baylor. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know about everyone else listening. I've been pretty impressed with what Baylor's been able to do so far uh, in this tournament. I know that they haven't really played a real challenge yet. This is probably the hardest. I would say this is probably the hardest game they've played. Mm -hmm. I don't don't think that's a hard statement to make, but Baylor can really turn you over. And without Gillespie being the guard that kind of runs the show, and they've played well without him. I think they've proved a lot of people wrong. I think a lot of, I think a decent amount of people had Villanova losing their first round matchup against Winthrop, but I think Baylor is going to be able to turn Villanova over. Um, I could see the Baylor bears routing Villanova, but I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take the spread. I'm actually going to leave this game alone. Uh, There's some other games that I like better than this matchup in terms of what the spread looks like, but I would not be surprised for Baylor to run them out of the gym. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that one, Ben. I think Baylor will run them out of the gym. Um, Villanova, I think, has gotten lucky in their last two matchups. You know, they played against much lesser opponents. In this one here, though, I think they play a team that's not only better than them, but I think is a lot better than them. Like you said, Baylor, I think, will turn them over and exploit them not having Colin Gillespie. Also, too, I think Baylor's playing with that chip on their shoulder, man. I think this is a spot that Baylor goes smack city and blows them out of the water. Seven and a half points is a lot of points, though. Um Another thing I will say this, I would probably lean towards the under, but for the same reason, I'm not going to take seven and a half points. In these March Madness games, you see teams get down, you know, by 15 points or so with seven, six, seven minutes left. They'll just start fouling and fouling and fouling and fouling, try to extend the game and just make it keep going, 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 and going. And I, then, I don't like I don't like totals uh, in March Madness. Yeah, the, yeah. Teams will just keep like I've literally watched games before where teams have fouled the last eight minutes of the game just to try to extend the game and put the other team on the line. So I don't want to touch anything with this game, but I it, to me it's Baylor or pass. And I think if you want a money line parlay, I don't money line parlay. But if you want to, Baylor's a very safe winner for you there easily. Um, 
I think they're like Knicks. minus three. They're like minus like three thirty or something like that on Fanduel. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. I would maybe parlay them with Alabama on the money line, but I'm not really looking to do anything like that. Um, next game at 7:25 is Oral Roberts Golden Eagles, the 15 seed versus the Arkansas Razorbacks, the four seed and or three seed, sorry. And um, this this game has Oral Roberts 11 and a half point dogs total at 158 and a half. I'm going to risk it here on the 11 and a half with Oral Roberts. Um, I don't think Oral Roberts has a chance to win this game outright as I think Arkansas is a very good team. He likes to play fast and score a lot. At the same time, Arkansas can blow them out for that same reason, but I don't really think it's going to be a blowout here. I think Oral Roberts can be able to score the basketball, keep it within the 11 and a half. I think that Oral Roberts loses this game by seven or eight points. I think the way they shoot the three-point ball, they won't give up, and they'll keep it inside that number. I like Oral Roberts to keep it close enough to cover, but ultimately Arkansas is a much better team that I'm going on to the Elite Eight, and I had them in my bracket as well. Yeah, uh, Arkansas, they're, they're a really good team. I actually have a play on this game that I'm going to play Oral Roberts first half plus six. Okay. Um, something I've noticed with these teams is, at least in this tournament, the games that you don't expect to be that close um, in any round. A, a lot mm. of the times, the underdogs have kept it pretty close. Um, the one game that's on my mind that wasn't close at all, where the underdog just got destroyed, it was Ohio against Creighton. Uh, not counting like Gonzaga against the 16 seed. I'm not counting those games. Um, I think Oral Roberts can keep it pretty close for a half. Um, I... I mean, 11 and a half is a lot of points. I, I, I just can't lay Arkansas minus 11 and a half. But I am going to take Oral Roberts first half plus six. They have been shooting just very well. And they're the, they're the leading scorer, in, I believe, in the country. Yep, Max Abrams. Yeah, and so I feel like if you have a guy that can just get you a bucket, I mean, obviously you have to hope and pray he's on that day because when, when I bet on Ohio, uh, what's Preston's first name? Jacob, I believe. Uh, he was off. I mean, he had two points in the first half. I think he was he was horrible. So I'm betting on Abrams to have a have a nice game, especially a nice first half. Hey, I like where your head's at there, Ben. Um, next game up on the slate, we use the final game of Saturday, and that is Oregon or uh, Syracuse versus Houston. Um, Syracuse, the 11 seed, Houston, the two seed. Total is or the spreads plus six and a half for Syracuse. Over under is at uh, 140 and a half. I'm going to hit Syracuse on this one. I feel like Bayheim, whenever he comes in as a high seed, never covers, but when he or never wins, but when he comes into the lower seed, he wins. Um, the leading scorer for Houston is injured as well as he was limping around holding his leg the entire game. Um, can't remember. I believe his name, last name is like, uh, I can't even remember what his last name is, but you're not talking about Quentin Grimes, right? No, Quentin Grimes transferred. Um, but, you know, Houston's bleeding score is injured. Also, too, I just feel like Buddy Bayheim and this team is, you know, just one of those special teams that's on a tear this March. And I feel like they're just going to keep balling and balling and balling. I mean, the Syracuse team's relentless. They hit a lot of three-pointers. They've actually been on fire in the first half. Um, and um, I just feel – I'm going to take them first half as well, plus three and a half. Um, it's Dijon uh, – I can't even, I don't even know how to pronounce last name. It's like Gerano or something like that. But he is that he's their leading scorer and he's injured, right? Or he's been injured. He's playing with injuries. Also, their leading rebounder and steals guy. So he does a lot for this team. I mean, he barely came back in down the stretch against that Rutgers game and pulled him through. Um, Syracuse in their last five games has been covering at the half of every single one. Syracuse in their last five games in March Madness is in, in the NCAA tournament has been covering in the first half. So I like Syracuse plus three and a half first half and plus six and a half full game. Syracuse plus six and a half is my max bet of the weekend. I'm going to money line sprinkle them as well. I think Syracuse gets it done outright. 
I have almost the exact same bets as you. I've been I've been riding Syracuse since the first round. Um, I I have Syracuse first half plus three and a half, and I have them uh, for the full game, which is on FanDuel. It is plus six and a half. I think that's what you said as well. Um, listen, for all the reasons you said, I'm not going to add much more to it. I mean, this the I what I do what I've noticed and what I do love about the two three zone mm-hmm. um, that Syracuse plays is if you it, I want everyone to to watch the two guys that are on top of the zone that make up the two, obviously, in the two, three. They very rarely will move over the three-point line. They play heels on the perimeter, which means you're going to have to take longer threes because they're not. you're not open at the top of the key. you got to take a step or two back, right? Not a lot of college kids can hit it. Now, Quentin Grimes is a college kid that can hit that shot, but the way to – in order to beat Syracuse, you have to hit some deep threes and have to hit some difficult shots. I don't know if Houston has enough players that can do it, which is why I, I – I mean, listen, Houston is probably the better team. They're unbelievable in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency throughout their uh, entire regular season and in their conference play. This is different. This this 2-3 zone, like even if you face the 2-3 zone, it they don't run it like Syracuse because there's no one that runs a Syracuse zone. I mean, a zone like the like the Syracuse Orange under Jim Beheim. So for those reasons, I'm going to take Syracuse first half and full game. Yeah, um, Ben, I love it, man. We got the same bets so far today. Um, next game up here will go to Sunday at 2.10 at p.m., and that is the Creighton Blue Jays taking on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. we got our number one seed, the best team in the tournament right here, 13-point favorites, total at 158. Um, anything, Ben? I I haven't placed it, but I really want to take Gonzaga minus 13. I, I know it's a big number, but they are that much better. Like, they, they're just that much better. I mean, they've looked, they've looked great. I have nothing negative to say about them. They've looked unbelievable. I don't know what I'm going to place yet, but if I do have anything on this game, I'm taking Gonzaga, even though it's a high number. And for the people that have listened uh, to you and I consistently, I do not take high spreads that often. Yeah. Um, I'm going to agree with you there, Ben. I'm not going to play the minus 13, but I really want to. I think it's going to be smack city for Gonzaga. I don't think this game's even going to be close. I would be at, honestly, I would be shocked to see Creighton keep this game within single digits. Like I really would. The way Creighton plays their defense is not great. They're horrible from the free throw line. I feel like the way that Creighton plays that they will, they don't play the way you can beat Gonzaga. You know, they're going to turn the ball over. They're going to make stupid decisions. That's not going to get it done against Gonzaga. I don't think Creighton has any chance at winning this game against Gonzaga. Ultimately, I think Gonzaga rolls here and wins this one. The play that I've not taken yet that I'm actually leaning towards is the over 158. I think Gonzaga is going to put a lot of points up here and stretch their legs a little bit. I think they're going to put a t- put up a ton on Creighton. I think Gonzaga scores like close to 100 points in this game. I mean, when they played teams like Iowa, when they played teams like Kansas, I mean, they scored 90 plus on all of them. If I'm getting almost 100 from from Gonzaga here. That means I only need like 60 points from Creighton to hit that over. You know what I mean? Like, I think that should be pretty easily doable. So I'm probably going to end up playing the over. I just haven't taken it yet. Um, how many How many teams remaining in the tournament do you think have a, have a we'll say a, uh, like a fair chance with uh, beating Gonzaga or at least competing with them to the final buzzer? So if Michigan gets Isaiah Livers back, which is a chance he does, I think they have a decent chance at competing with them. 
Um, I'd say Alabama does because Alabama can run and gun, but I mean, it, it depends which Alabama team shows up. If Alabama shows up with their A game. I think they have a damn good chance because the way y'all can score the basketball. Um, Baylor has a chance. Yeah, I I actually only have it at two. That, that's what I'm saying. I, I, <laughs> like I I I I think Alabama can compete with a Gonzaga team. You know, if if they're playing well. I don't think Alabama has enough size to defend uh, and keep them off the glass. I mean, Gonzaga is a good rebounding team. They do have a lot of size. Bama does not have a lot of size. Now, obviously, um, Alabama can shoot with anybody in the country if they're on that day. And, and they're on more than they're not. That's, that's why they were consistently top 10 towards the second half of the regular season. That's mm-hmm. why they're in the Sweet 16 now. And, you know, it's, it's tough. Gonzaga is just tough. There, there's not many teams that match up with them. All right, guys, so we had a little bit of a technical difficulty there for a second, but we are back, so we'll move on to the next game. Um, Next game up here on the schedule is my Florida State Seminoles versus the Michigan Wolverines one versus five match or four match up here. Um, The Knolls are a two and a half point dog, um, even two in some places. We opened at three and total is at uh, 143 and a half. Ben, I want to hear what you have to say about my Knolls first before I go. I mean, like like I always tell you, I think the Noel. I, I don't think there's a team in the country that the, that the Noles necessarily match up poorly against. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have a lot of depth. I think they have a lot of length that can disturb a lot of shooting teams. I I would love to see. I think the perfect matchup uh, from Florida State would actually be playing Baylor. Um, I think their length can really disrupt Baylor's mm-hmm. shooting from the outside. But that's what Michigan can do as well. I think that the key matchup for Florida State defensively is you got to limit Dick uh, Dickinson, Dickinson or Dickers, Dickinson, right? Yeah, Dickinson. You, you got to limit him early. Um, whether you got to limit his touches or you just got to limit his points early because I think if he gets going in the first half, I think that's when it opens up a lot of things for Michigan. He's a very, very good passer out of the post. So you can't really double him because Michigan, even without livers, still has a bunch of guys that could shoot. Michigan's got a lot of depth as well. And this is a tremendous coaching matchup. Um, I actually just learned today that uh, when Jawan Howard, I think, was playing for the Wizards during his NBA career, one of the assistant coaches was Leonard Hamilton. So um, a lot of respect between these two coaches. Uh, Leonard Hamilton has been a very, very good coach for a long time now. Jawan Howard is in his first year at Michigan and obviously exceeding what high expectations they already had for him has the number one recruiting class coming in next year. I am taking the Knowles with the points here, and I'm actually going to sprinkle money line on them too. I, I think this is a very winnable game for Florida State. I think Leonard Hamilton's coaching deep in tournament runs uh, help, only helps in this situation. I don't think it's a disadvantage for Juwan Howard because he, he, he hasn't had the opportunity to go this far. He's never been a college coach, obviously. Um, listen, Florida State's got the talent. they got the depth. And they got the mindset on, on the defensive end to really stop anyone. It's just, can they keep the turnovers down? It's it's that simple. If they can keep the turnovers, I'll put the magic number. I'll put the magic number at 15. Okay. I, I, I think if they can have less than 15 turnovers, I think they have a very, very good chance to win this game because I think Florida State can score with Michigan without livers. Okay. Um, Ben, I'm not going to lie. I'm not very confident in my boys in this one. Um, 
I don't know, man. I think Michigan seems pretty motivated. They seem to be playing pretty well without Isaiah Livers. Set SU team goes through stretches, like I've been saying, where we're very inconsistent. Some stretches we look like world beaters. Other stretches we look like we don't have a clue what we're doing. All of that inconsistency is going to help us get past Michigan in this game. Um, I think this one's going to be a tight one. Ultimately, I think it'll kind of be like the LSU game where they pull away a little bit at the end. I think Michigan can go up and down with this. They can score on us. If Scotty Barnes and MJ Walker both show up, though, and Copa Vita, it could go our way. I mean, I'm not going to bet this game personally. I think it's going to be a tight one. I think it's a coin flip game either way. I think whoever wins this game, like I think if you want to take Florida State, you take them on the money line. If you want Michigan, you take the two and a half. I think you'll win either way with that. I can't bet this game, but I th- I mean, to me, it's – I have really no idea. It's a, it's a coin flip game. I mean, I don't want to say my Noles are going to lose. I'm just not – they just haven't done enough for me to be 100% confident in them to advise you to bet on them. Do you think the week off helps MJ Walker with his health or any way, or do you think at this point he, he's injured and he can, he's just going to have to play through it? I think it's one of his injuries where he just has to play through it at this point. You know, it's kind of one of those it's in his ankle and his knee. And I mean, it's kind of one of those things where he's been trying to take time off all throughout the season. It hasn't really done much for him. I mean, even the COVID break, he didn't get much better. So I think it's one of those things you have to have surgery on once the season's over in order to get better. Okay. I mean, listen, I I think, I I think Scotty Barnes is going to have to just play kind of like how he was in the beginning of the year, to be honest with you. Um, Mm -hmm. Not that his play is really like, it hasn't gone down necessarily, but there was a stretch when ACC play started where MJ Walker kind of took his leadership and took his games, took his scoring kind of to the next level. I feel like Scotty Burns went down a little bit, but he he's a dude that's a tremendous playmaker. He's a ball handler at that size. He's a tremendous advantage to have. He's a very, very good passer. Um, I, I think if Florida State could just keep the turnovers down, I'm not worried about uh, Florida State being able to score on Michigan. Michigan's a better offensive team than they are defensively. I just think if they can keep the turnovers down, that's that's been their Achilles heel really all season, but really since conference play started. And they and they did very well in the ACC. Yeah, no, hey, I agree with everything you said there, Ben. So hopefully this FSU team can show up and show out. I would love to see my Noles get to the Elite Eight and possibly even a Final Four. It would be awesome to see what happens. Um, 7-15, your Alabama Crimson Tide will play the UCLA Bruins. The spread on this one is minus 6.5. Alabama's the favorites. Over under at 41 and a half. Um, I'll start with this one. I think Alabama wins this one in, in a, in a, or sorry, 145 and a half. I think I just said, said yeah. You said 41. I was like, yeah, I was like, wait, over for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I think Alabama is going to win this one. I think that UCLA got hot last week. You know, a lot of the times there's always that team who plays in the playing game can manage to make a little run in the tournament. I think that's what UCLA did and took advantage of weaker competition. Um, I think Alabama rolls though here. I, I like this tight offense. I think they score the ball really, really well. They shoot well. They run and gun. NATO doesn't know anything to keep the foot on the gas. I'm playing Alabama minus six and a half here. I think Alabama wins this game by a score of like 80 to 70 or like 80 to 65. I think they're just too much for UCLA to handle here. Yeah. So, I mean, when the bracket first came out, I remember talking to some people and like the first round wasn't nervous at all. Um, Alabama just I, Iona just can't they can't play with Alabama. Um, second round like I, I don't think it would have mattered who Alabama played. I don't think UConn or Maryland can hang with Alabama for two halves. Now Maryland played a pretty good first half, and I think they were even leading. 
I don't know if they had the lead at any point in the second half. I don't remember. But Bama just takes over. Their offense can just light it up. Actually, no, they weren't leading. Bama blew Maryland out. Um, I I don't – I think UCLA kind of falls into that same category, to be honest with you. I, I don't want to look too far ahead, but I think it's pretty easy to say that Alabama has had the easiest road so far. Not counting – like, Gonzaga's way better than everyone. It's it, They're an anomaly. I don't think Alabama had any competition when they played Iona. I they clearly didn't have any competition against Maryland. The final score was a million to very little. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think UCLA has been treating the ball very, very well, and they play a very contrasting style from Alabama. They they're very physical, um, and they they like to go a lot slower. And obviously, Alabama, like you mentioned earlier, is a very run and gun type pace. I just I think Alabama shooting is going to be too much for UCLA to try and keep up with. I I don't think UCLA presents too many challenges, but I do think they can keep the close for a period of this game. I just think when it's all said and done, at some point in the second half, Bama can just get on a roll and uh, and continue on. No, I agree with you completely on this one. I think the tide rolls in this game. Um, Next one up here now on our slate is um, the final game of the Sweet 16, and that is going to be the Oregon Ducks versus the USC Trojans. Um, this game is USC is a two-point favorite. Total on this one's at 138. Anything from you on this one, Ben? Oh, well, I have Oregon advancing in my bracket. Not that my bracket is, is in – well, I mean, I'm in good shape of where I am in my bracket pools. I think in our bracket pool, I'm in third – but my max points are not great because Illinois kind of screwed me. I don't feel as confident in Oregon winning this game as I did when I was filling up my bracket. Um, Mm. Oregon played USC only once in the regular season. Uh, The second or the first matchup they tried to play got postponed. I'm assuming because of COVID protocols and COVID issues and USC beat them. If I remember pretty pretty handily, I don't remember the score off the top of my head, but I mm-hmm. think it was pretty handily. I think USC's size presents a very challenging problem for Oregon. Um, Oregon is a team that can shoot the ball pretty well from threes. They don't have a great size. And the Mobley boys are ginormous for USC. This is going to be a weird game. Um, I don't hate the under in this game. And the reasoning is because both teams like to switch it up and play a decent amount of zone defense. And usually when you play against the zone defense, the ball has to swing around a couple of times and you can't give off, get off a shot or at least a good shot within the first couple of seconds. So I think the clock is going to help the under in this game. And that's why I'm going to take the under. I don't, it's not my favorite pick I'm taking of the weekend, um, but it is something I'm very interested in and I'm going to take. I have, uh, I guess, did you say the over-under? Um, the over-under is thir- 138 and a half. There's 138. Okay. That is what I'm going to be taking. Okay. I like it. I like it, Ben. Um, so, we've gone through all the games now and all the matchups. Um, ben, so let's go through each region. So, we both have Gonzaga. What do you, what do you have? What, what do you have in that game? Oh, oh, shoot. I didn't even talk about it. Um, yeah, I'm going with the USC Trojans here. Um, I think Dana Altman and Oregon have made a good run so far, but I think this USC team is actually pretty good. I think the Mobley boys give them a lot of disadvantages. 
Uh, when these teams played each other this year, USC seemed to roll in both those matchups. Um, I think this USC team just keeps on rolling, man. I think they're actually pretty undervalued. This was arguably the best team in the Pac-12 this season, and I think they come out here and prove it. You know, they're kind of dealt a bad hand in the Pac-12 championship. So, ultimately, I think USC comes out here, goes off, and I think they take care of business. Um, um, let's go to – or so – now we're done with that. Let's give quick final four. And if we're going to change who's winning it all and whatnot, um, Ben, I assume we're both still taking Gonzaga to the final four. That is correct. Okay. Um, what about in the East region? Um, who do you have winning that one? That's the Alabama, UCLA, Michigan, and Florida state. Oh, I, I, I guess I'm going to roll with my boys. I mean, I, I think every game here is a winnable matchup. I, think Michigan presents more of a problem than Florida State would for Alabama. Um, and both of those teams, I think, present more of a challenge than UCLA does to Alabama. But mm-hmm. it is March Madness and anything can happen. So I don't want to look like UCLA. I don't want to act like UCLA is an easy win because it's not. There's no easy win at March. But I think Michigan's size with Dickinson presents more of a challenge for the Tide. But for the time being, since my bracket's already messed up and I didn't even have Alabama there, I want to take Alabama now. Okay. Plus, I do have a plus. I do have. Ben, are you still there? Do you think it is for now? I'll ride with my money. Is. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. You broke up a little bit there, but no, I'm with you on that one. Alabama as well. For me, um, I don't. I don't think Michigan or Florida State can keep up with Alabama's pace or their shooting. So I think as long as the Tide handle the Bruins, that they're going to be able to get to the next round. Um, I, I was all I was saying was I had I had a future bet before the tournament started on Alabama to make the Final Four. Okay, so, so yeah. I might as well ride where my money is. Oh yeah, yeah, you should have a good chance of cashing out on that one. Um, let's see here. Um, next up is. The South region. Um, do we both still have Baylor coming out of there? I do have Baylor. Same here. Let that one ride. The last one is the Midwest. Um, who are you taking to come out of the Midwest? Oh man, this one is this one's really tough. Um, I really want to pick Syracuse. I just I don't know if I can. I, I think Syracuse has a really good chance to be Houston. I really, really do. I'm, you know what? I'm riding Sister Jean. Back to the Final Four, Royal and Chicago. That's who I'm going to pick out of the Midwest. Or I'm sorry, out of the, yeah, Midwest. I'm agreeing with you once again, Ben. I I just think they're the best team. I think they got the defense and everything. I think them versus Syracuse will be a bloodbath or versus Houston, but I think ultimately they'll end up getting it done. Um, National championship game, I think we both have have, uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, Gonzaga winning it all. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's what I want to see, man. This is the matchup we've been waiting to see all season long. Give us the matchup we want. Yeah, well, it was supposed to happen earlier in the year. That's what I'm saying, man. We got to see. Let the people see what they want. Um, that's pretty much it from me here, Ben. Anything else you got before we get up out of here? It's going to be a great weekend. A lot of action. Oh, great weekend. A lot of action. We appreciate everyone who tuned in once again. Please gamble responsibly, and we hope everyone has a good, good weekend when joining these games.